0: Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Today, you are going to witness a sign and a wonder. I'm going to preach for half as long as I usually preach. That's right. Come on. The Lord moves. What you were supposed to say is, no, James, go, come on, go a little longer than you usually do. Keep going. Exactly. No, I'm kidding. It's really great to have you this morning. My name's James. I serve on the team of elders that leads this church. Thanks for braving the warm weather and the air-conditioned less. Wonderful blessing of a high school auditorium that we get the privilege of having. It's more than many churches have around the world, and we get together in such a great place like this. Happy Father's Day again to all the dads. Uh, there's a whole lot going on, and the reason why I'm preaching for only half the time that I normally would is because we are going to celebrate baptisms as a church as part of our service yes so incredibly exciting eight people are getting baptized if God is working in your heart right now you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized Uh, a little bit of wet clothes is a small price to pay we'll baptize you today as well I'll give all the details of how we'll go about doing that uh, right at the end of our time here Peck you are amazing sir Thank you. Nehemiah chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're continuing our summer series through the book of Nehemiah. It's entitled Exiles to Heirs. That's what our series is called. And it's not just an arbitrary selection of a book to have a study, a preaching series through. We don't just put the names of the books of the Bible up on a wall, pick a dart. We threw it and we hit Nehemiah and we go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know there was a book in Nehemiah. It's not just a chance to check off a nice Old Testament book from our preaching series throughout a year. Uh, The reality is, Nehemiah was a man of vision. He was a man of vision, and he outworked godly vision in a godly fashion. And that's really crucial to us as a church right now. And why is that crucial for us? Well, we're in a season of outworking vision as a church. We're in a season of outworking vision As a church, we've shared already the prophetic sense that we've had uh, as a church in this season, especially this year. this, This phrase, building above ground. This sense that for the last 14 years, we recently celebrated 14 years as a church. For the last 14 years, God has been laying essential, crucial foundations into us as a local church here in the city of Chicago. And now there's this this burgeoning sense within us that God is taking that foundation that he's laid and he's beginning to build above ground. It's why we took three months throughout the spring and we taught a series through our vision and our values. Essentially who we are, how we see the world and the world we long to see. And we culminated it in this rallying cry, this banner statement, this vision, this, this, this rallying cry that we all take up together as a church and that is this, All of Jesus for everyone. The absolute fullness of the person of Jesus Christ withheld from no one. All of Jesus for everyone. And this building above ground continues in each one of us as we go from times like this our Sunday celebrations, and we all journey back all across the city to our spheres of influence. And within those spheres of influence, we're we're trusting to see God work in great power. We're looking for opportunities to minister to those around us, to share God's love, to pray, to minister, to share the gospel, all of Jesus for everyone, not just a slogan in these walls, but a lifestyle outside of them. That's a local church I want to be a part of. There's a physical sense to this idea, this prophetic idea of God building above ground as well. As many of you know, we're trusting for the city of Chicago to approve a zoning change so that we can begin to build a physical space for us, a building, a building in the city at 4216 West Belmont. This idea of building above ground has a physical manifestation as well. And can I just say, this is a corporate trusting this is not something for the four elders or the wider leadership team to get just together behind closed doors and really trust God for this. This is a corporate trusting. If Church in the City is your home church, can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? This is something to be on your knees asking for God's favor in. This is something to be praying to God, trusting for, for this physical manifestation of this building for us to walk into. All in all, it's a deep, rich sense of God enacting vision within us as a church family. I hope you would agree. And that's why, speaking of Nehemiah, in a crucial time, it's especially crucial and essential for us to stick closely to God's word. Yes, it's always essential for us to stick closely to God's word. But if it were possible to even more incredibly stick closer to God's word, this is a time. Always time, but even more now. I sound like a parent. It reminds me of the book of Joshua, chapter 3, when Joshua is about to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River into this, this promised land that God has given them. God has declared it will be their inheritance, and they are crossing the Jordan River, which by the way, God has parted he was like red sea was nice i'm going to part the jordan river too and the entire people of israel are about to walk across and joshua gives them a very specific encouragement as the ark of the covenant is crossing the jordan river the the ark of the covenant was the was the seat of god's presence it was the very resting place of god's presence and his voice and his glory as that is crossing the jordan river joshua encourages all the people of israel he says follow closely to the ark of God's presence. Why? Because we've never been this way before. Church in the city, we've never been this way before. It is crucial for us to stick closely to the word of God. So this takes us back to Nehemiah, this man of incredible godly vision. Nehemiah is such a story. And by the way, when I say story, I don't mean fictional story. I mean account, truthful account. So Nehemiah's story is one of the birth. And execution of vision. And I want to catch us up briefly because I'm doing this briefly, right? Remind me. Just say brief, James. Brief, brief. Here, come on. <laughs> Very good. I want to catch us up with where we are in the book of Nehemiah. And there's a few things that I would like to highlight. And we won't go too deep into them. But I believe that it, we, actually, we actually don't need to beg God to speak from his word. I believe he's going to speak clearly. I believe there's clear things for us to glean out of Nehemiah chapter 2 today. You okay? So, Nehemiah, we see at the top of the book, is a Jew exiled. He's not in the land that should be his home. He's instead in the court of the king of Persia. And his people are exiled. The Jewish people have been exiled as a result of turning away from God over generations and generations and generations. And the Lord would pursue them. God would pursue them, and and they would turn back, and then they would inevitably turn away. And they would repent, and then they would turn away again. So, finally, the Lord allowed them to be exiled. And Nehemiah, in the court of the king of Persia, receives a report back from his brother about the state of a city that he's never been to before, and that is Jerusalem. But Nehemiah knows the significance of Jerusalem. It's the seat of God's presence. It's the city that should be declaring that the God of the universe wants to know and be known across the earth. And that report that Nehemiah receives about Jerusalem is this, the walls are destroyed. The gates are destroyed have been burned by fire, and the people there are in great distress. And Nehemiah, who has never seen this city, who is hearing of this destruction that was wrought years and years before, Nehemiah chapter one, verse four says, he was greatly distressed and burdened. He sat down and wept and fasted and prayed before the Lord. And this reminded us, as we've learned, that vision often starts with a great burden or concern. Vision starts with a great burden or concern. And so what did Nehemiah do? Did he mount his horse right away and he shot off for Jerusalem? Did he get up on the rooftops and he started shouting and pontificating about how right he is, how, new, how much he knows what to do and how everybody should fall in line and get with his ideas? No. Instead, Nehemiah intently gets before God and begins to pray. And he doesn't just pray. He begins to declare what he knows about God. He declares the truth of who God is, God's character. And Nehemiah praised God's promises back to God because God had made incredible promises to the people of Israel. And Nehemiah simply praised those back to God. And most importantly, if I can say, Nehemiah prayed with broken-hearted repentance. He prayed with broken-hearted repentance for sins, generational sins that quite honestly Nehemiah hadn't been as much a part of committing as the people in those generations. But Nehemiah took ownership of that repentance and he stood in the midst with others for the sake of repentance as much as he stood with them for their restoration. Repentance is crucial to the Lord moving. Repentance is a gift. God's grace and pursuit of us allows us the privilege of repentance, which turns our heart and God says, that's a people I can use. That's a people who want to know me. So Nehemiah prays, and he prays very specifically for favor right where he is in his current circumstance, right where he is. He prayed for favor right there because vision that is given from God hardly ever requires immediate action. Vision that is given from God hardly ever requires immediate action. I know I'm flying, but you guys okay? Maybe you don't feel like I'm flying. I feel like I'm flying. And what was Nehemiah's current circumstance? Chapter 1, verse 11, Nehemiah says it simply, I was cupbearer to the king. This is an interesting position. It's kind of exalted, but kind of lowly. On the one hand, Nehemiah is a servant. On the other hand, he sits next to the king. On the other hand, if someone tries to kill the king, it's Nehemiah who's going. Because he's tasting everything that goes to the king. So, what was Nehemiah's prayer in light of this circumstance? Nehemiah prayed at the end of chapter 1, Give your servant, that's Nehemiah, success today, Lord, by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. Give your servant success by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. And how long did Nehemiah pray this? It took probably one or two good, good prayers, right, to get God's attention, right? No, four months. Four months. And as Steve mentioned last week, Actually, in terms of God working in the hearts and circumstances of his people, four months is a relatively short time. Several times throughout Genesis, we see Abram, for example, waited 25 years to have a son. He camped out for 13 years in one place listening to the Lord. Jacob waited 14 years to marry Rachel. So four months is skating, right? You and I would consider four months skating, I'm sure. Four months Nehemiah prayed today. Grant your servant success. Today, grant your servant favor for four months. And was he exasperated or impatient or deflated? No. He was intentional and patient, expectant and persistent. Nehemiah prayed consistently anticipating that God would move in God's timing. He was faithfully executing what was in front of him. I was cupbearer to the king. That is what's in front of me. We need to pray for opportunities and plan as if we expect for God to answer our prayers. Pray for opportunities and plan as if we expect for God to answer our prayers. That means faithfully doing the last thing we know that God has put in front of us. The last thing we know that God has spoken. Faithfully listening and watching for what is next. And then suddenly, if I can use that word, suddenly, four months later... In God's timing, suddenly, God moves. We see Nehemiah at the beginning of chapter 2. He's in the presence of King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He's just doing his job as cupbearer. And the king recognizes something about Nehemiah. He recognizes that he's downtrodden, and he asks him why. And Nehemiah answers, because of the state of Jerusalem, the state of the city of my people. Can we just pause for a second and marvel at the Marvel at the amazing fact that the king asks a cupbearer why he's so downtrodden. Why should the king consider the cupbearer at all? And then the king does even, something even more audacious. He actually asks Nehemiah, in light of Nehemiah's answer, he asks Nehemiah what he wants. This is a cupbearer speaking to a king. The cupbearer is downtrodden. The king says, what do you want? This is, an, this is a lottery ticket scenario for Nehemiah the cupbearer. There's no practical earthly reason for a king to ever ask the cupbearer what he wants. There's no way that Nehemiah could have rushed that, forced it, connived it, or you know, sort of placed his own working on that. But God answered that persistent and patient prayer, give me favor today with this man. And it reminds us that while we wait, God uses our circumstances to position and prepare us For what he has planned for us. While we wait, God works. While we try to work, usually God waits. While we wait, God is using our circumstances to position and prepare us for what he has planned for us. Nehemiah was prepared not just because he had a burden, but he was prepared by growing his patience before God. You see a burden is one part of the equation but God's timing is the essential other piece and we can't just run forward with a burden. When God's timing comes alongside of our burden suddenly is the word. Four months, suddenly. So God grants Nehemiah an incredible faith an incredible boldness to answer the king. Nehemiah asks to be released to go to Jerusalem and the king says yes. Nehemiah goes one step further, can I have letters to all the governors of the provinces that I'm going to have to pass through so that they'll give me safe passage? The king says yes. Then the cupbearer asks the king for something even more audacious, can I have a letter to the keeper of the royal supply of timber so that I can take some and begin to repair the city that, by the way, you conquered the kingdom that exiled our people from? The king says yes. This is a cupbearer and a king speaking. No earthly reason why this conversation should be happening, and no earthly reason why it should be going this well for Nehemiah, except for Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, where Nehemiah declares, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Yeah, you think? What else could be happening? What God births, this great vision, God will bring to fruition. What God births, he will bring to fruition, We all desire what Nehemiah is experiencing here, don't we? We all desire those moments where we feel like the momentum and and the direction we'd like things to go kind of start tumbling that way, and it's just great. And we're just like, we can't lose. Man, circumstances are falling into place. I feel like God's favor is on me, and it's, it's all happening. We want that, don't we? But it happens when God moves, in God's timing, in God's ways. It's always in his timing and rarely in ours. So Nehemiah, with this newfound blessing from the king, sets out to make his way towards Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up our account today. And surely now, with the king's blessing, Nehemiah has a chance to really make some headway, right? To really kind of get out ahead of things and spend this this newfound capital and momentum. I have the king's blessing. I have the king's permission. And and so Nehemiah can really take it from here, I'm sure, right? Right? No, God set him out, and Nehemiah obeys. And perhaps the question that we need to ask now, as Nehemiah approaches Jerusalem, his vision has momentum, God has been moving, but I want to ask a question today, and that is this, what continues to fuel vision once God begins to move? What is the fuel for vision? And I want to give you just a couple of things, and then we're going to be done Let's pick up Nehemiah's story in chapter 2 in verse 11 you can follow along in your Bibles or it'll be on the screen behind me. Nehemiah writes, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts or horses, camels with me except for the one I was riding on. The verses that follow describe how Nehemiah begins to inspect the gates and walls of Jerusalem one by one under the cover of darkness. He begins to note where they're broken and where things are impassable and where things are damaged and destroyed. And he does this alone, under the cover of darkness, without telling anyone why, after having been in Jerusalem for three days. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Nehemiah, you had some real momentum. You, you, you had some real gumption. You had some go behind you. You had the king's permission and blessing. You're missing your moment, Nehemiah. You're not telling anybody. You're not proclaiming. This is your chance. This is your chance to, to get attention, to get clicks. Why is Nehemiah doing this? Nehemiah is staying true to how God has moved. And Nehemiah is staying close as what we've said, sticking close to the voice of God, asking only the Lord what is next and obeying faithfully exactly what is next. And by taking the next clear, obedient step, however small, Nehemiah is sticking close to the Lord. You know, when we have a burden, when we have a vision, and we, we, we visualize and fantasize about its completion, sometimes it can seem that any step except the completion is a small step, right? And we don't have patience for the small steps. But I want to say this, vision is fueled by faith-filled steps, Vision is fueled by faith-filled steps. And patient, practical steps can often seem small, but they demonstrate an active faith. They demonstrate an active faith. Nehemiah, it seems, in the grand scheme of things, is taking a very small step. He's, he's out without telling anyone why, and he's examining the walls, but he's, he's taking a small but faith-filled step. And he's completing the picture of his burden by doing this exploration. Exploration. And he's not settling for immediate completion of his vision to be the only evidence that God is moving within it. You follow? Once Nehemiah takes these practical steps, he can, he can begin to do something very crucial. He can begin to actually impart this vision to others. Those who will follow him. He can move from actually having vision to envisioning others. But he can't do that unless he owns the fullness of, of how God is moving. And that's why Nehemiah is taking these patient, faith-filled steps. However small, they demonstrate an active faith. So let's continue in verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any of the others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And this is crucial, verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah not only shared with his listeners What was happening going forward, and that was Nehemiah's burden. But Nehemiah shares a testimony of what God has already done. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God that was on me and what the king had said to me. This is, remember, this is a cupbearer talking. This is a cupbearer talking to officials. And I want to, it illustrates to me that vision is not only fueled by faith filled steps, vision is fueled by testimony. Vision is fueled by testimony. Nehemiah's listeners now understand that God has already been moving and will continue to move and will move again. Nehemiah's listeners can grasp that. He's gone beyond visioning, vision now to envisioning, giving vision to others. From mere vision to visionary. Testimony invigorates vision by pointing back to God's faithfulness and pointing forward to our inheritance. Testimony invigorates vision God has moved he is moving and he will move again and how did those who are listening to Nehemiah respond to Nehemiah's testimony that the gracious hand of his God was upon him and what the king had said they reply in verse 18 let us start rebuilding they've caught the vision let us start rebuilding so they began this good work so follow me testimony of God's work enables vision to be transferred it facilitates the co-carrying of a burden. If vision from God is often, often birthed by a great concern or burden, testimony allows us to co-carry that with one another. It says, look what God has done. Join me in this. It provides a doorway for others to join with you. It lays a foundation for unity. It can truly say, we honor one another. We're into this together. We're partnering with one another in a shared vision. And truly, we are with and for one another. All in the power of testimony. Vision is fueled by testimony. Then something happens. Opposition comes. Opposition comes to Nehemiah and his followers. Let's read in verse 19. But when Senbalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, the work they were going to do, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Ah, oh, again, it was going so well. <laughs> it was going so well. Now, we're not going to dwell too much on this opposition right now. Further along in the the story of Nehemiah, uh, we can go into opposition more. He will encounter more, and we can dive into it more. But I do want to say this. Opposition is always founded on an opposite vision. Opposition is always founded on an opposite vision. You can hear it in these men's words. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, no. Actually, they're acting with the king's expressed permission and blessing. Opposition comes with something completely contrary. Are you rebelling? No. But it's an opposite vision. Opposition seeks to always transfer our attention to caring for, dealing with, and navigating an opposing vision from the one that God has caused to be birthed in us. And it it presents this seemingly insurmountable reality that somehow we must navigate through or around. And it distracts from vision by giving us another vision to compete with. And if you recognize that dynamic, it's because that's basically the dynamic of most important conversations that happen in our society. My vision, no, 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 my vision, no, 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 I'm louder, no, 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 I'm louder, no, I'm more right, no, I, no, you're more right, no, no, that's the dynamic of what happens. Opposing visions. But can I suggest that vision is actually fueled by God's promises? Vision is fueled by God's promises. Let's look at how Nehemiah responds to this opposition that comes up. Just one verse of opposition. And how does Nehemiah respond? By by wholly recalculating his approach, by retreating to himself and saying, okay, how do I make this, what I'm doing, kind of more palatable to this ungodly perspective? I don't really want to ruffle feathers, so where can I kind of bend or negotiate or compromise and kind of make this um, more swallowable for people who might disagree with me? nope. It's not what he does. And he's not arrogant about it. I'm not saying we get stiff-necked and arrogant, but look at how Nehemiah responds. Verse 20, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The God of heaven will give us success, Nehemiah says. Can I suggest that our response to opposition is not to focus on the opposition, but to remind ourselves of God's promises. Our response to opposition is to remind ourselves of God's character and promises. Steve preached last week about asking the right questions and how we we so often focus on the questions of when and how in our vision. This is my burden. When will it be outworked? How will it be outworked? But instead, we need to focus on the who and the what. What? Who is God? Who am I in him? What has he called me to? And I will trust God for the when and how. Opposition often takes our focus very quickly back to when and how. This opposition has approached me, and so what must I do? I must redouble my efforts. I must re-strategize. I must re-navigate. I must make this happen. When? In this timeline. How? In these ways. And i got to take on this opposition. No. Our response to opposition is we remind ourselves of God's character and his promises, and then we can respond from there. Opposition will always try to steal our focus. Are you rebelling against the king? No. We're here with the king's blessing. I'm the king's cupbearer, doing what the king has allowed, outworking what God has said to do we remind ourselves of God's promises and God's character. In the coming weeks, we're going to study more about the this, this story of Nehemiah. I'm going to bring this to a close now so that we can celebrate this incredible privilege of baptizing some people today. But can I, just, can I just challenge us to remember a few things. And we don't have our Nehemiah flyers today. We'll, we'll have those next week. But vision is fueled by faith-filled steps, however small. Vision is fueled by testimony because it points back to God's faithfulness and forward to inheritance. Vision is fueled by God's promises and character. So in light of those three things, can I just ask you to walk away with three questions today? And I'll trust that the Lord will be working in hearts throughout this week as you wrestle with these questions. In light of that, what seemingly small steps can you take that demonstrate an active faith For what God has burdened you with. That say to the Lord, I have faith for you to move in your timing. But these are the small steps that say, I'm not disengaged. I'm saying yes, Lord. What small steps are there for you to take? Secondly, what testimonies can you share? Do you share? Are you a testimony sharer? Are you a testimony listener? Maybe, Maybe it's an awkward thing for us to walk up to someone and say, Hey, can I share something that the Lord has done? Can I suggest we should get out of the awkwardness of that? If God has done something in your life or heart, I, I want to know. You should come up to me and say, "James, can I share with you?" And if I look awkward, you go, "You preach this, James." <laughs> maybe don't slap me, maybe just tell me that remind me that I preached it." But let's get out of the awkwardness of sharing testimony with one another. And then lastly, what opposition do you face? What opposition do you face? And I don't ask that question to dwell on opposition. I ask it because we need to ask what promises from God do you hold on to in order to stand firm on his character? In order to stand firm on who God is? In order to stand firm on who he's called you to be and what he's called you to outwork? What opposition do you face? Can I pray for us? And then we're actually going to bring this to a close. And I'm going to describe how we're going to do baptisms today. You guys, good? No hurt feelings. I can preach longer if you. you I'm not asking you. (laughs) Lord, thank you so much for the just the clarity of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your servant Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, for the clear way that you speak. The clear way that you give us vision and burden and what you have. For us, Lord, is incredible and amazing. It is heavenly, Father. So Lord Jesus, I just pray right now across this room that you would touch hearts and you would say, there are steps, there are testimonies. Remind yourself of me in the midst of opposition. I thank you for what you've put on hearts in this room. I thank you for the incredible, incredible vision that is represented in this room. Vision for restoration of cities and families and and businesses and homes and schools and hearts, Lord. Vision for wholeness and your kingdom to be outworked in ways that we can't even theorize right now, God. And I pray that you would give traction to those things, Lord, by your presence and your voice. And that we would stick close to you. Because we've never been this way before. We love you, Lord. Lord. Do this work in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City. All of Jesus for everyone.